I noticed in the announcement of the conference in intelligence that there was a picture of a student, a Bible student, and I assume that it was symbolic of the tender years of the speakers that you've got today. There was also um, an apology in advance about the seating and the suggestion that you might write to bring cushions. But what I would say is that these strips that are on the seats are probably a better idea because then the audience can't pick up their cushions and pelt the speakers, as is a custom of old in Scotland. <coughs> a month ago, or thereabouts, um, I was asked to speak at the Stoke Conference, and <coughs> we were asked there to speak on the subject of Christ, the head of the church. And uh, what I would like to do today is to carry on from where we left off in Stoke and take the same subject a little further. But perhaps today, to bring it more into the practical dimension, because it is important that we, when we come to these conferences, we go away with things which will actually impact our lives and what we do from day to day and week to week. Because the most sublime and exalted of divine truths are designed to have that kind of application in our lives. And even things that go to the very limits or beyond our understanding, God still reveals to us in his grace by his spirit so that they can make their mark upon us and transform us, which is the thing that Christ died for, after all, to transform us. <clears throat> now, I have the difficulty that many of you would not be at Stoke a month ago, and uh, even if you were, maybe you've forgotten what, <laughs> what I tried to say. Um, so I have to build a little foundation quickly before we move on to where we really want to be um, tonight. Um, in Matthew chapter 16, um, we have the wonderful statement of the Lord himself, I will build my church. He will do that. He is doing that. He will continue to do that. It is his prerogative. It is his responsibility, both the building and the maintaining of that wonderful congregation or church. Those of us, and I'm hoping that's all of us today, who know the Lord, who have received God's salvation, one of the things, and there are many things that happen, by the way, at the point where you receive God's salvation. I remember counting up to about 18, and then I, then I gave out. But one of the things that happens when you come to take the Lord as your Savior and receive God's salvation, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us that we are baptized in the Spirit of God into the body of Christ, that is, the church, which is Christ's body. So that's who's in it and how they get into it. All believers in the Lord Jesus Christ from Pentecost onwards and continuing until the day of his return, all believers are part of the church, the body of Christ. And they get into it when they are immersed in the Holy Spirit of God. And then in that baptism, they are baptized into the church, 
which is his body. <clears throat> it's a personal transaction between the individual and the Lord. And it's an irreversible one. And that's wonderful. And besides the baptism in the Holy Spirit, that is associated with the Holy Spirit taking up residence in each of us when we are baptized in the Spirit. He then takes up residence in each one who is in the body of Christ. And they're in Christ, and they're indwelt by the Spirit of God. It's a birth, it's the beginning of divine life, and it's a translation. They're translated out of the power of darkness and into the kingdom of the Son of God's love. That, that's a transaction that takes place at that point. And you can sense the numbers building up of things that are happening. But these are, these are key points here um, at the basis of the whole subject. Now, um, these things are not things that you can see and touch. Um, we said they're an individual transaction. They're very, very real. These things have happened to all of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But they're not things that you can tell, tell by physical senses. They're unseen things. And as I get older, the things that I realize are more and more precious are the things that are not seen and eternal. Because the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are seen are unseen are eternal. And you remember that Moses, uh, he did not fear the wrath of the king, Pharaoh. And he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And that's the story for all of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things that's borne itself in upon me in recent years is the question, how does this reality express itself in my life? That the Spirit is dwelling inside me that I've become part of the body of Christ. And there's a lot in the scriptures describing that relationship, just how intimate that is. That it's like the body, the human body is the illustration in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And all the members of the body connected together and operating in a coordinated way, driven by the direction and the control from the head. And that is likened to the operation and existence of the church, which is Christ's body. Now, what does that say about our relationship with the Lord himself? It's more than that we know him. It's that we become part of him, and he's become part of us. It's an organic relationship that we have with Christ himself. Now, uh, again, at Stoke, we spoke about what's described in the scripture as the mystery of the Christ. And that is this truth about the church, the body of Christ. And the term the Christ with the definite article like that it seems to be a title which is applied to the combination of the head and the members. That is, the total body image is given the title the Christ. 
And you get that from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where it talks about all the members of the body together. And so also is the Christ. The definite article is in the original there. So this combination is the Christ. The title of the Lord himself, the name of the Lord himself, has been placed upon us who are members of this church. Christ's name has been placed upon us. Now, in Ephesians chapter 5, of course, you have the church, the body, likened to the relationship, the human relationship of marriage. And there, the teaching of the apostle on the subject gives you this relationship of one flesh between the man and his wife, the bride and the bridegroom. This relationship of one flesh is likened to the relationship with Christ in the, the body of Christ. It's a wonderful thing that these sublime divine concepts are applied to human situations and given the likeness of that kind. Now, I think that's enough for the uh, introduction and the platform. Let's direct our minds now to how this should affect or how God wants it to affect our lives. First I'll draw your attention to this. The letter in the New Testament that deals with church order and with the uh, conduct of assembly meetings, what is in order at assembly meetings, how you're supposed to conduct them, and what you're supposed to do and not to do. These instructions are found largely in the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians, and particularly 1 Corinthians chapters 11, 12, 13, and 14. So, um, we've been thinking about the church, the body of Christ, which is something that is essentially heavenly and unseen. But now in Corinthians, you're looking at something that's on earth and how God wants it to be. And it's clear in the New Testament that God wants disciples of Christ to be together and to serve him together in what are called in the New Testament churches of God. Companies of people who are serving God together in churches of God. And 1 Corinthians is telling us about how that should be done. Now, of course, the church in Corinth that he was writing to were in a bit of a mess in some of these respects. And he's writing to instruct them and to encourage them and to correct them and to direct them. But it's very, very helpful because it's there on record for all of us ever since and for us today. And so you go to 1 Corinthians to find about how churches of God are to be. What, if any, is the relationship between something that is heavenly and contains all believers of all times since Pentecost through to the rapture? What, what is the connection between all of that and something that's on earth and visible and together in churches on earth? Do they relate? And should they relate? And if the answer to that was no, which it isn't, then why would you find what you do in these chapters, 11 to 14? In chapter 11, he starts with the remembrance, and he tells us about the remembrance and, and what it should be like and what it should be. And then he breaks off in chapter 12, and he starts speaking about the influence of the Spirit of God 
in these gatherings, in these meetings. And what the Spirit, Spirit does, and the gifts of the Spirit that are to be manifested in these meetings. And then he speaks about the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And there's a long passage that's about the human body as an illustration. And it talks about all the members of the body and how they're connected together and how they need to operate. And then he applies that to the church, the body of Christ. This is in the middle of instructions about what to do in churches of God. And then in chapter 13, it's the well, well-known chapter about love that finishes, now abideth these three, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And then, in chapter 14, he goes back to talk about the meetings again and to finish off what he's saying. Now, here's the point. The thing he's getting across that many in Corinth had not understood was that what they're doing together in the church is something collective. It's not individuals coming together to do individual things happening to be in the same place. It's a collective exercise. And that means that when people come, they've not just to be conscious of themselves or even of themselves and God, but they have to be conscious of the other people that they're coming together with. That's an essential part of what it's about. And what they're doing before God, they're doing together. Now, if you have anything that has to be done together, you immediately have to have some kind of organization. And Corinth hadn't quite spotted that either. And so, at the meetings, people were getting up and speaking when other people were speaking. And they were saying things that half the congregation didn't understand what they were talking about. And there was a failure to think about the others that they're with, to consider one another. And that's essential if you're going to do anything of a collective nature in any sphere of human activity. There have to be understood things to be done and ways to do them. Um, sorry, but this is sometimes called rules. And rules are not very appealing, are they? But if anything's going to be done collectively, you must have rules. Now, where are the rules to come from? Well, how about this? Not from me. And not from you, and not from any individual in the congregation. Surely the rules can only come from God himself and the Lord. And where are the rules to be found, God's rules? Well, they are to be found in the scriptures, in his word. And so if there's going to be any effective collective operation before God, there has to be, first of all, some kind of understanding of how it should be done. And the only authority for that is this book, is the Word. We've moved from what was an individual transaction, salvation, coming to know the Lord as an individual, to meeting the Lord and serving the Lord together. And without that, God's purpose in us will not be complete. It is impossible 
to be a complete servant of God and completely ignore the collective dimension. You missed the boat, if that's the situation. The collective dimension is a very important part of God's service. Why? Because it's a demonstration of the principles and the truth of the church, the body of Christ. Now, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to the church of God in Corinth, you are body of Christ. You, the church of God in Corinth, are body of Christ. What does that mean? Well, it obviously can't mean that all the people in the church of God are the totality of the church, the body of Christ, because obviously they aren't. What he's saying to them is that you in the church of God at Corinth are the demonstration of this world of the reality of the church, the body of Christ. You're an expression of it. You're a demonstration of it. And the better quality demonstration of it, the better pleased God will be with your service. And this is something very important. And so what Paul is positioning here in all this in chapter 12 about the church, the body of Christ, he's putting it right in the middle. And he's saying, this is the defining principle. This is what you're trying to express in your collective activity together in churches of God and in particular in the church of God in Corinth. Um, it's time I read with you because I'm standing telling you what's in the Bible here and I'm, and, and I'm in danger of getting in the way of the word hitting you head on. So perhaps if we could look just briefly at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to pick out some of the things that we're talking about and pursue this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we'll just jump in at verse 12. For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of the body being many, are one body, so also is Christ. Now, in the original, this is the Christ. All the members of the body being many are one body, so also is the Christ. What we said before. For in one spirit were we all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether bond or free, and were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. Now, just in passing, the baptizer who does the baptizing in the spirit is the Lord Jesus himself. He is the baptizer who baptizes us into the church which is his body. <clears throat> That's from Matthew. Now, uh, I want you to jump on here to um, verse 27, which is the verse we were just talking about. Now, ye are the body of Christ and severally members thereof. Now, there is no definite article in there in the original. Ye are body of Christ, because the body of Christ could make someone think, well, the Church of God in Corinth is the totality of the body of Christ, which it isn't. So he's saying, you are body of Christ, and severally members thereof. Now, while we're reading, would you just turn over, please, to Romans chapter 12, also Paul's writing. Romans chapter 12. <clears throat> verse 5. So we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and severally members one of another. Now the point I want you to pick up here 
is that he says to Corinth, you are the body of Christ. So, okay, we've got the idea that this is an expression, a demonstration of the reality of the body of Christ on earth in Corinth. But here, uh, Paul, who's not in the church in Corinth, says, we are one body in Christ. So, that reinforces the point that it's something wider than the church of God in Corinth. And in fact, what it's confirming is that all who were together in churches of God are included in this definition. Ye are body of Christ. Because Paul was not in the church in Corinth, but he was in the same fellowship of churches. And he came from the church in Antioch, church of God in Antioch. So all who are together in churches of God are demonstrations, or should be demonstrations of the reality of the body of Christ. And so it's not something that I can do by myself. I cannot, as an individual, uh, just live a life which somehow demonstrates the body of Christ if I'm not together with other people and I'm not serving God together with other people. I can't give a complete rendering of that at all in that case. Or if I'm somebody that hops about from place to place and I'm not actually linked with anybody else. Now this, you see, begins to spell out what is the constitutional position of churches of God. Because it's starting to show you why there has to be service of a particular order. If it's going to be collective, it has to be according to, to a particular order. And that becomes definitive because it, it's the teaching of the Lord that's been carried out here. Now you might pause and think, well, is it possible to interpret the teaching of the Lord lots of different ways and perhaps reach a lot of equivalently valid positions from the teaching of the Lord? Well, not the Lord that we know. Because first of all, the Lord that we know doesn't make instructions or give us directions which are so ambiguous that it's possible for people to validate them in completely different ways. In fact, sometimes in completely opposite ways. That is not the kind of Lord we have. And it's a bit disrespectful to him to suggest or to think otherwise. He doesn't give directions that aren't clear. And the Holy Spirit is in us to, to help us also to get that right. Danny Mohini used to um, have friends in other churches, people who were not in churches of God. And Danny used to say to his friend who was in another denomination, um, only three possibilities here. One is that I'm right and you're wrong. Two, you're right and I'm wrong. Three, we're both wrong. But the one that is impossible is that we are both right. Now go away and think about that. There isn't a multiplicity of divine ways of pleasing him, of serving him collectively. And if that's going to be the case, then it means that there has to be something called subjection. Now, subjection is something that the Bible speaks about quite a lot. And it's of vital importance 
in this matter of collective service because it means that there are times when I have to be subject to my brethren and sisters. There are times when we have to be subject and there's all the time we have to be subject to the Lord. And subjection isn't really something that slips easily into our nature. There are times when it's very different. But it's a vital thing. And so when in Philippians chapter 2, Paul is giving instruction about being together and staying together, about unity in the church, the foundation of it starts with that each one counts other better than himself and that each one has the mind of Christ and the mind of Christ was the mind of someone who humbled himself even unto death yea the death of the cross now there's the core of unity there's the core of collective service that's pleasing to God it's subjection it's humility and it's considering one another and that will sometimes feel like a restriction on freedom but hey I don't care about restriction on freedom that pleases God I think that's the key thing that there are times when we need to have our minds adjusted and we need to be subject to the Lord and to his word and to one another and it's important for the continuance of the service it's important, by the way, to the continuance of a marriage because the Lord also speaks about subjection in connection with marriage. That two people maintaining this close relationship successfully, there needs to be subjection in that relationship for it to be successful. So just as in marriage, so in collective service in churches of God there needs to be that we're talking about a community and then you see that leads to well how do you maintain unity in a whole community of churches uh, separated by distance and perhaps even intercontinental how is that done and that's where it comes in, the teaching about elders and the fellowship of elders. Because just as there's a fellowship of saints which, which makes a church of God, which is a replica of the body of Christ, so there is a fellowship of elders which maintains the fellowship of churches which are together in a replica of the body of Christ. So it's not sufficient just to ensure that these things are carried out within an individual church. The whole community, which is called the fellowship in the New Testament, the fellowship of churches, that needs to be a replica of the body of Christ, showing the same unity that you can demonstrate within the operation of an individual church of God. So, the teaching about elderhood and the fellowship of elders derives from that. And so, what, what, I'm, what I'm coming to here is that a lot of the things that are about the way we come together and the way we operate and the way we serve in churches and the doctrines that are associated with that all come from this wonderful central source which is the heavenly reality of the body of Christ, the church, the body of Christ. 
that unity is what is to be expressed and that's what calls for all these other things. Now I'll come back to that uh, in, in a moment but I want to look in a little more detail. Colossians chapter 2 because I want to talk to you about joints and bands. Does that sound interesting? Colossians chapter 2. Verse 18. Let no man rob you of your prize by a voluntary humility and worshipping of the angels, dwelling in the things which he has seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast the head, from whom all the body, being supplied and knit together through the joints and bands, increaseth with the increase of God. Now, you, you might get some different words used in some of the translations for that, but I think the understanding is fairly straightforward. And I want to think for a moment about joints and about bands. What are joints? Well, they are places where you can bend. You've a limb, and uh, your leg's got a knee and an ankle, and, and these are flexible and can bend freely to enable you to do things. We're all to be joints. We're all to be joints and bands in, in the churches of God. Am I an athletic knee? Or am I an athletic elbow? Or a frozen shoulder within the church? Just think about it. Joints are supposed to support movement and activity. <clears throat> bands bands are about keeping things together so that your arm doesn't fly off when you gesture or your foot doesn't fly off when you try and kick something bands keep it together now you've had some ministry on that already today bands we are to be that I'm to be an agent that is doing something to keep the church together, not blow it apart. <coughs> what am I doing that's easing the arthritis in the church? What am I doing that's keeping things together, people together? I think it's an exercise for every one of us in the day in which we live. <clears throat> the apostle speaks about schism, about the body, and he says, if, if the members don't operate together, and if they get out of joint, and if they get out of sorts, then you get what he calls schism. And schism just means a great big tear. It's like um, the Lord speaking about the, the, about the cloth, You're patching old cloth with new cloth that's undressed, and the new cloth takes away from the old cloth. That is, it's strong and it holds, and all that's round about it tears to end up with a bigger hole than the patch that you actually put on. Why? Because the materials are kind of incompatible with one another. This incompatibility thing is a bit of an issue you um, because uh, there are times I think when all of us might feel uh, that, well, Lord, I, I love you and I love to be with you, but I can't put up with some of your friends. And you see, that's human. And it's, it's real. But it's something that has to be overcome. 
And it will only be overcome by divine grace and by the work of the Spirit in our lives, in our hearts. And it will only be overcome by love. Now, we've talked about faith because faith is the thing that makes unseen things real. It's something that you read in the scriptures, but you can't see it. It's not a physical thing, but it's in the scriptures. So you say, well, I believe that. I trust that. That's faith. That's the word of God, even though I don't see it. The other important thing, and the most important thing, is love. Because without love, the pattern can't be carried out. Without love, the demonstration of the body of Christ will not be there. It will not be successful. Love for one another. Now, love is not some sort of miasma that just descends upon you at a whim. And, 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 oh, I love that person. Love is something, if it's real, that takes a bit of effort and a bit of work. If you're going to love somebody, then you have to devote yourself to them. And you have to consider their interests. And you have to please them. And you have to help them. And you have to support them. And that's not something you float into or out of. It's something that's a commitment. And at the heart of demonstrating the body of Christ is commitment. Commitment to the Lord and commitment to one another. I'm bound with them in the bonds of fellowship and we together are expressing something that delights the heart of God. And that's the value of it. And that's why it's worth doing. And that's why it's worth persevering with. Because there will be times when adversary gets at us very hard. Hits us with everything. And to overcome that, we will not do it in our own strength. We'll do it by the Spirit of God. And we'll do it by our love for the Lord and for those that he has chosen to be his own. And it's his choice, not mine. I don't choose the people that are in the Church of God in Wembley. And you don't choose the people that are in the Church of God where you are. God chooses them. Puts them there. So you respect that choice. And you love these people. Love them to be There's another thing, and that's a matter of pain. Now, in the human body, pain is something that gets transmitted from the damaged area to the nerve center. For a long time, those who dealt with cases of leprosy thought that the nature of leprosy was that the flesh was gone bad. And that's why bits of it dropped off. And people ended up with stunted limbs. And, uh, Paul Brand was one of the specialists in this field who established very clearly that that's not actually the problem. The problem is that the transmission of pain stops. The extremities of the lungs, when they get damaged, no longer is pain signaled to the brain. So, the damage takes place, no avoiding action is taken, uh, they get burnt or they get clobbered or whatever the problem is, and eventually the damage is so great that it kills off part of the limb and they lose it. The transmission of pain is the thing that's missing. Now, applying this to the church situation and the people that were within the church, at any one time, I'll guarantee that there are people 
who are suffering pain or trouble of some sort. If I am completely insensitive to that, then you've got a potential leprosy situation. Because someone there is needing reassurance, strength, help, encouragement, sympathy, and it's not coming because it's not even noticed that it's needed. You see the problem. And the problem about that is here is my brother, and I don't know he's in trouble, or my sister, I don't know if she's in trouble. And if I continue like that, one day I look round and they're not there. They've gone over the side. And my heart grieves for the people that I have known in the fellowship of God's Son who've gone over the side. And far too often I get there just as the splash takes place. Now that's an implication about replica of the body of Christ in our relationships with one another and in our support and help for one another. I want to finish with two things. One of the things we spoke about at at, uh, Stoke was the fullness. And that was in Ephesians. I'm just going to read it. He put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Ephesians chapter 4 now. Verse 12 of Ephesians 4. For the perfecting of the saints unto the work of ministry, unto the building up of the body of Christ, till we all attain unto the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a full-grown man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now we said at Stoke that the fullness of Christ Maybe you can see this glass. Um, There's water up to there. Um, What is the fullness of this, in this sense? The fullness is the bit from there to the top. Because that's required, what's required to make it full. Now how does that apply to the church, the body of Christ? Which is said to be the fullness of him that filleth all in all. What it means is that without us, without those who are in the body of Christ, he feels incomplete. Can you get round that in your mind? Christ, the Son of God, who is the head of the body. Without the members, he feels incomplete. They are the fullness. And it's not that Christ is in some way inadequate or lacking without them. He fills all in all. We're talking about his emotion, his feeling about this. That without us, without those who are in the body of Christ, he feels incomplete. Now, Ephesians 4. Growing into full growth. And finally, into the measure of the stature of the fullness 
of Christ. That's what we're doing. When we come together in churches of God, when we serve God among his people, in his house, then we're advancing, or should be advancing in maturity and building together something which is moving towards the fullness that is the satisfaction that he has of having us as his own. What kind of ambition is that? And can it be taught? No, it cannot. That's the ultimate, that we should advance to that measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Lastly, rules and doctrine and teaching about positional truth and ecclesiastical um, principles and practices on the one hand and a glorious heavenly beautiful reality on the other. When Balaam looked down over the people of Israel in the wilderness, when he was asked to curse them and he couldn't, one of the things he spoke about when he saw them in their encampment, he spoke about them <coughs> as gardens by the riverside. <coughs> gardens. Now, um, if I can make this point, the rules and the teaching and the doctrine and not the details of practice are what you could call geometry. But about what goes where and what fits where and how it correctly operates. That's geometrical engineering or something. In a garden, you must have geometry. There's order in a garden because it's tended and cared for and there's a design. So you must have the geometry, otherwise you don't have a garden. But there is something else you must have if it's really going to be a garden. You must have colour and life and beauty and fragrance. <laughs> now to me, the doctrine of the churches is the geometry and it's vital and important we should have it and do it right. But of itself, it only has meaning when you add the colour, the beauty, the fragrance. And that's the truth of the church, the body of Christ. And that's the composite 